I want you to get your Bibles out to Exodus 13. I want to close the series on moving forward. I hope you've enjoyed this. I really felt like it's been a prophetic word from the Lord for the season that we're in. Um, because I believe God is always on the move. Can anybody say amen to that? God's always looking to exploit opportunities for his purposes in the earth. The devil never has the last say. God always has the last say. And I shared with you on Father's Day I, that, that we need to do two things. God told us two things rather not to do. We need to, and, and the converse of that is two things we must do. We need to make sure we're not living alone, which simply means that we need to do life together. We need to have lots of good friends in our lives. Can anybody say amen to that? And then secondly, the Bible says that we're not supposed to lead alone. Jethro said to his son-in-law, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear the people out. There's only two times in the whole Old Testament where God said something was not good. Don't live alone. Don't lead alone. We need people around us. But you know, every time a pastor gets up and preaches, if we preach on topic A on one side of the coin, there's also another side of the coin that we didn't get to touch. You with me? So last week I preached on living and leading, but there's a couple parts of that that I need to have a caveat for. So I'm going to flip the coin this week, and I'm going to add a, a, a little bit extra, because while we're not called to live alone, you need to make sure that you watch who you run with. It's very important. This, this message is really about a culture for moving forward, all right? This is a kingdom culture. We're not primarily Americans. We're not known primarily by our ethnic background. We are known first and foremost as blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ, called out of darkness, into light, brought into the family of God. This is our new identity. Can anybody say amen to that? So this culture here needs to look like and act like and smell like and taste like and feel like heaven. That's our goal. I know it's a big challenge, but that's our goal. And so I want you to see how important it is to surround yourself with people that you can run with that will help you finish the race, all right? In Exodus chapter 13, let's start reading in verse 36. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. They stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. This was what God promised would happen after the 12 plagues. Now they're getting ready to officially leave, and they're literally plundering the Egyptians. But I want you to see something in verse 37 and 38. It says, that night the people of Israel left Ramses. They started for Succoth, and there were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. Uh, most Bible scholars will say it was roughly around 3 million people leaving Egypt. How many you know that is a massive exodus? But look at what was in the mixture. Verse 38. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with great flocks of herds and livestock. All right? The King James Version says a mixed multitude. And other translations call them riffraff, troublemakers, contemptible people. All right? So within this movement out of Egypt of God's people, there was also some riffraff. All right? Troublemaking folks, people that didn't have the greatest perspective on life, people that uh, perhaps were not the greatest to hang out with because of their influence, but they're all mixed in there as well. And I love this next verse. This is Exodus 14, verse 8. It gives a little more of a picture of what's going on. It says that they left with their fists raised high in defiance. Now, how many of you know, if you've been subjected to slavery for 430 years, you might want to leave kind of humbly. 
But these guys are walking by going, hey, we like those earrings. Can we have them? Sure. You know, the people, all the Egyptians are giving them all the jewelry, right? Hey, I like those shoes. Great. I'm taking them. Thanks. They're mine. All right, really, you can't have them back. All right, but anyway, they're leaving, and they're getting blessed with all this stuff. But that's not enough. On the way out, they're doing one of these, Mike. Yeah, dude. They're, they're walking out in defiance, like, you Egyptians, see you guys. We're out of here. How many of you know if you... Live your life with pride. It doesn't always end real well, all right? So they got the fist raised. They're letting the Egyptians have it. They're carrying all the stuff, the new Nike tennis shoes. They got all this stuff going on as they leave. But I want you to see what happens next because here's the deal. I have found this to be true. Sometimes the louder and more brash people are on the outside, the more insecure they are on the inside. Sometimes the greater the gloss the less substance. Sometimes the greater the noise, the less character. You may know what I'm talking about. So look what happens when the first bit of opposition comes. And can I just tell you this? Opposition is the great revealer of what you're made of. It's easy when you're walking out with all the gold and silver to be doing the fist pump, but how many of you know when you're camped out at the Red Sea in the desert and the Egyptians start showing up, that's when what you're really made of is going to be manifest. Look at, and then look at in uh, Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians were overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We told you this was going to happen. We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Okay. We're going to look at this passage because I want to give you six kind of people you don't want to hang with, all right? If you're looking to be successful, and I'm not talking about successful according to the American dream. I'm talking about fulfilling the purpose and plan of God for your life. How many of you know you can be saved and still die in Egypt? And there are so many people that when they get born again, they, they pray the prayer. You all know whenever you prayed the prayer, whenever you had an encounter with the Lord. But for many people, they stop and they're not willing to do the deep work. Everybody say deep work. The deep work is the work of transformation. It's not moving around the furniture in the room. It's not putting another coat of paint on. It's dealing with the deep stuff inside of you that's yucky and it's painful and, and we don't like to go there and we'd rather just push it away. But guess what? You got to do the deep work if you want to move into the fullness of what God's called you to, if you want to get the fullness of the promises of God for your life. Many Christians are content with the white bucket of paint and the paintbrush just to paint things over when, it's, when the ugly starts showing up, all right? You can't do that. You can't cover the ugly with paint. You got to go deep. And so I want you to see, this is six people. Now, last week, Hotam, you did a great job. I, you got all these friends, but you made an important point. Hotam said this, I got too many friends. He was just joking. But how many of you know, because he still needs friends, help the brother out. But here's the deal. You can have the wrong kind of friends. And let me tell you the wrong kind of friends, okay? Friend number one is a fearful friend. A fearful friend. It says when the, when the Egyptians showed up, 
They panicked. Let me put it into modern language. They freaked out. How many of you know, if you have friends and your friends are always telling you about all, remember I told you every what if has two endings? Well, what if? Well, if you have a friend whose what if always ends in, in the most horrific ending possible, get a new friend. Because what happens when you start sharing your vision about something and you're all excited and they say, oh, but what if? What if you go bankrupt? What if, what if you leave your house and you die of a disease? What if you go shopping and a mob shows up and kills you? What if, what if pastor, we go to Pakistan and we're captured by Muslim terrorists? Oh, my God. What if we go there and half a million people give their lives to Jesus? What about that what if? What if you go outside and you come back in and you didn't die? Woo! Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. All right, I got to be good. But anyway, um, if you surround yourself with people that are freaking out about everything, you will pick up that spirit. And I'll tell you right now, we have, we have a freak out spirit in America today. Everybody's freaking out about everything. I, I would tell them this. Get some new friends for God's sake. I don't want friends that are always shrinking back, friends that are always shooting down whatever. Whenever someone's got faith to do something, they're the first ones out with the shotgun ready to shoot it, shoot it right down. Don't have those people surround you. Move in faith. Second group of people are the critical people. Look at what they said next. Why did you bring us here to die? Isn't that a great word of encouragement? Why did you bring us here to die? Critical, 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 critical. You know, some people have the gift of always finding the tiny little bit of something that's wrong. It's a gift. It's a spiritual gift. You know, 99.9% of how you acted was so good, and I just love you. But can I just share the other half with you? No! I don't want you speaking into my life. I don't need your criticism. How many of you know the people that have earned the right to speak into your life should be few and far between? They're people that love you. We don't need more critics in the body of Christ. We need more people who are encouragers, who are life givers. Come on, some of you are getting with me. All right, I'm going to shake... Nobody wants to leave here today going, all right, I did pretty well. I was only four out of six. You don't want, that's not good, all right? Or even one out of six. You don't want that. I'm trying to elevate here, all right? Point number three, you don't want people around you who are cynical. Oh, I just have a cynical sense of humor. No, you don't. You're angry. You need to get delivered. Look at what they said. Oh, it's bad enough. They brought us out here. Ready for this one? Weren't there enough nice graves back in Egypt? <laughs> cynical, cynical, sarcastic, cynic. Are you kidding me? How would you like to lead these people? Oh, there were really lovely plots back in Egypt, in the desert. There were lovely plots. Sarcastic people, mockers. Don't hang out with people like that. Mocking the things of God, mocking the move of the Holy Spirit, mocking the word of God. Get away from those people. Number four, victims. 
Let's just pause right here for a moment. Listen to, listen to the language. Listen to the language. What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave? Because we had it so good working from sunup to sundown as slaves. It was so good. Why did you? Why did you? It's your fault. Why did the pastor do this? Why did this person do this? Why did that person do it? If you're constantly blaming your life and the misery of your life on your mom, on your dad, on your third grade teacher, for God's sake, stop it! Because you're not a victim. You're a victor. Victims, victims, take the keys. Victims take the keys to their lives and say, here, it's hopeless. I'm, I'm subject to all the whims of everybody around me. I'll never be able to fulfill my dreams because it's always somebody else's fault. Really? I don't want to hang out with victims. I have to love them. So do you. Love all the victims in your life, but don't make them your closest friends because they will suck the life out of you. The body of Christ should be the people who latch a hold of the promises of God, to faith in God, to the presence of God, to the Holy Ghost, to the, to the great vision that we have in Scripture. We should be the most victory-minded people on planet Earth, and we should create a culture where we believe in what God's trying to do in each other. Not a victim called, oh, we would love to do it, but we just can't, and oh my gosh, we don't have enough this, and we don't have enough that. That kind of thinking will get you nowhere. We got to get rid of it. Point number five here. How about the arrogant people? Ready for these folks? We told you so. Aren't you just waiting for the people like you just take one little step to fulfill your dream? And they're ready as soon as the first thing goes south. We told you so. We told you so. I warned them about that. Oh, I, I, mm-mm, yeah. You know, I'm grateful that my wife, when I don't actually do it right sometimes, like usually with driving, stuff like that, like she just, she literally saved my life just yesterday. She says, ah, yeah, ah, and and then, She saved my life. I'm not kidding you. And all she had to say was, oh, 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 I wasn't even even intelligible. And then there's what I love about my wife. I just, and then she just went right on. (laughs) It wasn't like, I told you so. You're going to kill us. You brought us out here to die. Aren't there good graves back in Egypt? No, she didn't do any of that. She just kept. That's why I'm married to that woman. Because she is an encourager, and she's not an I told you so. No one wants to live with an I told you so. I'll tell you who else we don't want to live with, stubborn people. Leave us alone, God. We want to die here. We like it here in Egypt. It's good. We don't, why are you taking us out there? We don't want to go to no promised land. Stubborn, 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 stubborn. 
Now, there aren't any people like this in the church today, and not at all. We're always so teachable, aren't we? We love, we love change. We, we love it when God upsets the apple cart. We love, we're, not, we're not stubborn like these stupid Egyptians. What is the matter with these people, these Israelites? We're not that way. No, we are that way. And, uh, and we need to make sure these are six areas. Don't hang out with people that are stubborn. Don't hang out with people that are arrogant. Don't hang out with people that are victims. Don't hang out with people that are cynical, critical, and fearful. Unless you want to die in the wilderness. And can I just tell you, lots of them died in the wilderness because they weren't willing to do the deep work. Everybody say deep work. Deep now look what happens. I'm, going to, I'm helping you out here. I really am. Look at verse 4, Numbers 11. The foreign rabble shows up again. Only two times in the whole Bible where the foreign rabble show up. Here they are. The foreign rabble, the misfits, the troublemakers who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And then the people of Israel began to complain. How many of you know when the cravers get together with the complainers and they throw a party, bad things happen? The cravers will always find the complainers too. It always happens because it's a spirit. It's amazing how people that are negative find a get together and have a party. The cravers and the complainers, they get together. Listen to this. This is pathetic. Oh, for some meat. Give us the meat. There was no Arby's on any corner out there. We remembered the fish. We used to eat for free in Egypt. These are socialists right here. Joe, did you see that? These are socialists. The fish we ate for free. Dude, can I remind you that you worked your fingers to the bone from morning till night, seven days a week, 430 years, and you call it free fish? Somebody's paying for those fish. Ain't nothing free in life, have you figured that out? Someone's paying for the fish. Come on. But look at what this pathetic spirit does. Oh, man, we had free fish. Yeah, I'll bet it was great. I bet it was all-you-can-eat salad bar, buffet. Oh, look. Oh, wait. And all the cucumbers. Who gets excited about a cucumber? I like cucumbers, but I'm not sitting out in the desert going, oh, dude, do you remember those cucumbers? Oh. And melons. And leeks. And onions. Oh, and throw in the garlic. Oh, we had it so good. You people are delirious. What is your problem? But now we've lost our appetite. All we ever eat is supernatural provision from heaven that I'm sure tasted wonderful and showed up every morning as a constant reminder that God Almighty has redeemed you with his outstretched hand, that he cares for you, he loves you, he feeds you, he knows you every day. But all we got is manna. Where's the cucumbers? Look at Proverbs 18.24. The man of too many friends chosen indiscriminately, will be broken in pieces and come to ruin. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? If you have indiscriminately chosen friends, you will let those people into your heart, and if those people don't have a kingdom perspective and a kingdom heart, they will cause uh, brokenness to come to your life. Can I just caution you, when you're going through a difficult time, watch who you're listening to. I've known people that they're struggling, for instance, in their marriage. You know who they hang out with and get all their counsel from? People that are divorced. 
And you know what? Some of those people that don't know the Lord, again, there's, there's sin, the, the, the sin of divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Obviously, we have God restores marriages, God, God heals, God moves us on. I'm, please don't hear me the wrong way. But this is what I'm saying. Many times people who are struggling with their marriage will gather around people who are bitter from broken relationships in their life, and they get fed nothing but cucumbers and leeks and onions and bitterness. And you don't need to be listening to people that are going to fill your heart with the wrong kind of truth at a time when you are most emotionally vulnerable. You need to be surrounding yourself with people that are going to encourage you and speak life to you and believe in you and, and challenge you and help you and love you and support you and that are going to agree with God in those situations. Watch who you're hanging out with. Now, let me quickly go to the second point here. We said don't lead alone, but I want you to know it's very important to be careful who you serve with. I mean, you know, we're called to love the uh, mixed multitude, as the Bible says, but we're not called to have the mixed multitude on our leadership team. I just want you to know if you're new here at Living Stones, unity is really, really critical. And walking with people who have the same spirit is critical. And people that are full of faith, it's critical. People that have godly character, it's critical. It's, an, it's essential. In other words, you don't surround yourself when you're in a leadership mode. You don't surround yourself with people who are operating in any of those six kind of spirits that we just talked about because they, they will kill what God's trying to do. Now, I want you to see something. Moses had one of the most epic rants of all time. If any of you ever had a rant, you all, know, you all know what a rant is. That's when you get together with a friend and you just vomit all over them. And it feels so good, doesn't it? Just, well, let me just tell you. All right. Well, Moses had an epic rant. One of the greatest in all the Bible. In fact, I always like to see the human side of leaders. Anybody besides, I mean, Moses wasn't always glowing. He would glowed there for a while, but he wasn't always glowing. And Moses didn't walk on the water like Jesus. Moses had good days and bad days. Well, this is a, this is a bad day. And I, I, I want to encourage you with this bad day from the life of Moses, all right? Look with me, Numbers 11. Verse 10, Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents. What were they doing? Whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. This is a great verse right here. My dad used to have, this is one of the things I inherited from his leadership. He had something, some of you are laughing. Andy, you saw that. On the front of his desk, he had a sign. It was the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not whine. How would you like to go in for counseling from your kind shepherd? And then, and then many of you know, if the, the thing didn't go well, then he'd pull out his gun and set it on the table and said, do I need to shoot you now or later? All right. Now, I know this was not normal counseling behavior. Some of you are going, all right. But it was effective, was it not? All right. And, and the thou shalt not wine sign said something important. How many of you know you don't want to do things that makes even God angry? If God was, what's that Bible say? Extremely angry. What would make God ticked off? Whining. This is serious stuff because we're so good at it. It comes so natural, doesn't it? We just get together. We whine, 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 whine about everything. And the Bible says God was not real happy. And look what happens next. Moses was also very aggravated. Some of you say, I'm not really angry. I'm just aggravated. I mean, you know, it's kind of the same. 
And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve all of the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? No. Did I, <laughs> did I bring them into the world? No. It's your problem. Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like some mother carries a nursing baby? I'm tired of this breastfeeding going on right here. How can I carry them into the land that you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me, saying, give us meat to eat. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. And look at verse 15. What a climactic ending. If this is how you intend to treat me, God, go ahead and kill me for God's sake. Do me a favor and spare me of this misery. I'm done. I'm out of here. Shoot me. Wasn't that a great passage of Scripture? I love it. Because anybody that's had an ounce of responsibility in your life and it's tried, check this out, it's not hard to deal with practical, technical problems. Like, these people need food. Okay, let's get them some hamburgers. That's not always hard to do, especially if you're God. You know what's hard to do? It's hard to get Egypt out of people's hearts. That is hard. I want you to see something. Moses has had it up to here. But isn't it interesting? The Bible says this about Moses. He's one of the meekest people who ever lived. Even sometimes, isn't this astonishing? When God has had it. Remember those passages? He wants to wipe them all out. He's like, I'm just going to zap them. We're going to start over. Moses says this. No, Lord. Your reputation is at stake. He begins to lay on his face. He begins to intercede, right? Moses, it looks like in that situation, it appears. Now, it's not true, but it appears that Moses has more long-suffering and patience than God does. But Moses is losing it. And I want you to see something, because this is Moses' greatest leadership failure in the Bible, all right? Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 and 11. How many of you know, we kind of know it's not going to end well when you look at verse 10. Listen, you rebels. How many of you know it's probably not going to go well after that? (laughs) Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raises his hand. He strikes the rock twice with a staff. Of course, the water gushes out. The whole community and the livestock drank their fill. Moses loses it. This is so, or loses it here. It's so uncharacteristic of him. What is going on? I want to give you a little insight, okay? Because in the first verse of that chapter, it says something that when we read the Bible, we just glance over it and we don't even see it. It's like, how was that in the Bible? Why did they put that there? Look at what the first verse says. Follow with me. First month of the year, the whole community of Israel, they arrived at the wilderness of Zin, they camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam, big sister, died. How many of you know when people that we love that are in a leadership position are close to us and are huge emotional supports to us die when there's trauma. This is hard. It's really hard for a leader. When you've carried the weight of, of 3 million people with those six attributes for how many years? 40 years in the wilderness, right? And your big sis 
who's been there for you that whole time dies. I mean, you know, that takes a toll on a leader. Now, this is the big sis who you remember took little baby brother in the ark, took him down to the Nile River, crocodile-infested Nile River, to save his life from being slaughtered. He watched him as he floats down the river, watched Pharaoh's daughter retrieve him, went up and says, hey, have I got a deal for you? I know just the mama that can take care of this baby. Ends up taking the baby right back to the original mama who feeds the baby and gets paid for it. How many of you know that? It was an amazing setup right there. But, he, but this is the big sis. It's a big sis who's been with him. And while they had a few spats, we read about those spats throughout the Bible. How many of you know Moses and Aaron, big sis and brother, were two of Moses' incredible supports through this whole time? And can I just tell you, when your sister, your big sister who's been there for you, dies, I believe it, this had a tremendous impact on Moses as a leader. And you know, when you're not healthy emotionally, anybody ever been there? When you're going through a difficult time, when there's been significant loss in your life, when you're hurting on the inside, it impacts your ability to lead well. This is why you cannot lead alone. Because you're going to go through losses in your life. You're going to go through challenges in your life. You're going to face trials in your life. There's going to be times when you're beat up and you just don't even feel like doing what God's called you to do. You're gonna, there's going to be times when your big sister is no longer there or when your dad's no longer there or your mom's no longer there. The people that were around you and supported you and love you, they're no longer there. Those are the times when you are most vulnerable as a leader. And I think Moses just lost it. I think, he just, I think he was overwhelmed emotionally. I think he was hurting. And I think he just lost it. Uh, and again, the Lord had to discipline him for that. And the sad thing is Moses and all of those folks that he had, was tasked with leading all died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, right? And for the young next generation that was coming up. Everybody else died in the wilderness. Can I just tell you all, I don't want to see any of us die in the wilderness. And I'll just tell you something else about this culture. There were times, you know, because I am my father's son and I lived in my father's household, there were times I saw what my dad's week looked like. I saw some of the situations he had to deal with. I saw some of the people he had to deal with. I saw some of the challenges uh, out there that had nothing to do with our family that he dealt with. I also know sometimes as families you deal with challenges. And there were times my dad would get up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and I noticed there was a bit of an edge to his preaching. And I knew that he was preaching out of pain. I knew that he was preaching because here, here, here's the truth. And this is why you need to have compassion on anybody in leadership anywhere. Because leaders don't get to quit because they're having personally a rough day. And I watched my dad get up here when he had 101 fever, preach his heart out. I watched him get up here when he had double hip replacement like two weeks after, and preach. I watched him knowing some situations that he had to deal with throughout the week that were incredibly painful. But you know what? He was faithful. And he was surrounded with people that loved him. And I just want to say this. Sometimes we're not at our best when we're hurting or when people are going through challenges. Don't judge somebody and condemn somebody and criticize somebody when, they don't, when they're not on their A game because you don't have a clue about what it is that they're trying to walk through. Those are the situations when you need people around your life 
to say, hey, pastor, let me help you with that. Pastor, let me help carry that load. Pastor, what can I do? Whatever. And let me just say this. I'm not making a plea here because I'm just telling you, I'm surrounded by amazing leaders in this place. We have a healthy environment here. It's not toxic. It's healthy. This message is not a message of correction. This is a message of encouragement. I'm just telling you, though, there have been seasons in my life when I would not have been able to make it through successfully if I didn't know I had a bunch of people around me who loved me and believed in me. And I'm just telling you, you cannot go it alone. Men and women who try to go it alone in life, don't. it doesn't end well for you. You need people, not just any people. You don't need whiners, complainers. You don't need fearful people. You don't need arrogant people. You don't need bitter people. But you need good people that love you and believe in you and love Jesus, and you need a lot of them around your life. And I'll tell you, you don't find them at the bar. You don't find them out at the mall. You don't find them out in the world. You find those kind of people in the Lord's house. These are Jesus lovers. These are where you find people like that. You find them by being connected. And they don't all show up perfect. I mean, you know, we love people out of all those things I just mentioned. All of us have had to deal with those six, six things I just mentioned. And we're still dealing with those six things. That's why we have to watch our tongues. We have to make sure we're not whining. Make sure when you're in a situation, everybody's griping. Don't join the griping club. Speak life. Speak truth. Walk away. Do something. Change the environment. But for God's sake, don't let that spirit poison you because you will miss out on the fullness of what God intended. Last verse I want to share. Everybody doing all right? I got like six minutes. Everybody doing all right? All right. Last verse I want to share on finishing well. Look at Deuteronomy 34 verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyesight was clear and he was as strong as ever in spite of the fact that he was constantly helping people move out of a, of a slave mentality into a mentality of a son and a daughter. This is stressful. This is exhausting. This is the most difficult, challenging type of leadership is transformational leadership. There were times when he was close to emotional burnout, hopelessness, despair. Uh, but here's the deal. He never lost sight of his vision. And can I just say, I believe... I believe the fact that his eyesight was clear directly corresponds to the fact that he was as strong as ever. Because here's what I've noticed. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, when we have our own burning bush experience, everybody know what I'm talking about. Not literally a burning bush, but you have an encounter with the Lord that changes your life. We like, the Bible calls that being born again, regeneration. You're brand new on the inside. Uh, you're no longer dead. You're spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit fills you with life. Everybody know what I'm talking about. A burning bush experience, your encounter with God. When you have your encounter with God, it fills you with vision for your life. So if you're a man like Isaac, who's an attorney by, by, by trade, he realizes, I'm not just a normal attorney. I am a spirit-filled, redeemed, Holy Ghost attorney whose law skills can be used to move ahead the agenda of the kingdom of God. Everybody see what I'm saying? In other, in other words, whatever it is that we've been called to do, the kingdom you know, elevates it. And we start seeing about who we are and how God made us to be with clarity that we've never experienced before. Whatever skills are in our hands, we realize, I use my hands for the glory of God. I use my mind for the glory of God. I use my mouth for the glory of God. Everything I am is for the glory of God. When you have a vision like that, you're going to be strong because here's what happens. The vision inspires passion inside of you. And when a man or woman loses their sense of passion, 
Put them out to pasture because they're not going to accomplish anything. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how many years you've been on planet Earth. You don't have to grow old. You don't have to retreat. You don't have to quit. Keep the vision burning in your heart. And if you have a vision for Jesus and a love for Jesus and you have a love for people, you will be strong physically. How many of you have found people that as soon as they quit, they die? As soon as they stop moving forward, they die. As soon as they give up, they lose the vision. Nothing is, there's no reason to get out of bed in the morning. They die. I mean, literally, die. This is a spiritual principle. If you'll, if you'll be like that burning bush, and you, you all remember the story. It wasn't the fact that the bush was burning that caught Moses' attention. It was that the bush was burning and it wasn't being consumed. The vision lights your fire. The passion keeps burning. But when you have a godly vision and godly passion, you never burn out. You just keep burning along. And you burn to the very end. And then you, and then you go to glory. All right? We're going to finish well. We're going to have lots of people we're going to do life with. I want to encourage all of you to get involved in life groups that will be starting up after, after Labor Day. But in the meantime, in the summer, stay connected. Cookouts, we're going to be doing all kinds of stuff to get us together. By the way, okay, first Sunday in August, massive church picnic. And you ready for this? One service. <laughs> How are you going to do that? We don't know yet, but don't be critical. We're moving ahead. It's going to be awesome. We might have TVs set up in the closet back there. We're going to have people everywhere. And you're going to eat some of the most amazing food. We might even have cucumbers for the critics that are still out there. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. Leeks and onions and fish for free. I don't know what we're going to have. But all y'all, all three services, we're going to be together. And do y'all remember that video that was going around when we were in the early days of the COVID thing? Um, where, who's, the, who's the guy? Fat man in a little suit. Chris Farley. Chris Farley comes in from the back of the building. And he's chest bumping everybody. And he, he's high-fiving. And it said, this is how pastors are going to be when church opens. Everybody see that? That is so going to happen on August the 2nd. I might even be chest, I might, get ready, I'm going to be chest bumping ho time on the way down. And we're going to, might, I might even do a cartwheel because this will, ready for this? This will be the official transition from the wilderness of what if. And we're going to live in the reality of who God is. And we're going to live like free people once again. We're not going to go back to Egypt ever. And we're going to move ahead. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you guys. Father, on this week leading up to the birth of this nation, we pray for America right now. We pray for all the wounds, the hurts, the division, the strife. We pray for leadership at every level, God. And we pray for the hearts of Americans to come back to you, Lord, so that there can be true unity in our nation. God, help heal the brokenness and the pain. Help us be a part of the healing. Help us, Lord, to treasure the good from our past while we continue to look ahead to a better future. So, Lord, we just look to you to be our vision, and we look to you to be our passion, and we look to you, God, 
to again bring this nation and the hearts of our people back to you. And as that happens, God, there will be a massive healing amongst our neighbors. So, Lord, we look to you for that. We pray your blessing on our nation. Lord, may this week be a great week of celebration as we get together and as we thank you for the freedoms that we still enjoy in this country. And so, Father, we give you praise. We ask you to transform us at the deepest level, Lord. May we never be stubborn and rebellious and resistant to the move of the Holy Spirit in us and in this place. Lord, move us ahead with great joy and great faith. We love you. We honor you. We ask your blessing on this day now. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen.